In Mark 5, 1 through 20, God speaks to us in his word. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Katie. All right, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Um, so we're studying the book of Mark, and Mark is one of four Gospels. There are four books of the Bible written uh, to really tell the story of Jesus, although they're not the only books of the Bible that tell the story of Jesus. Actually, the whole Bible tells the story of Jesus, but these are four Gospels that are witness accounts of Jesus' life. And we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a little while now. Mark is the shortest gospel, but it, there's so much in it. It's really fast-paced. And uh, we're jumping ahead a little bit today uh, to this story about uh, the Gerasene man who was possessed by demons. And maybe you're new to, like, I don't know, church language, or maybe you're new to, like, the, the idea or your idea of demons or just, like, what you've seen in horror movies or whatever. Um, the fact is, is that demons are real, and they are horrifying. They are terrible. And we're seeing that witnessed in this man today. One of the things we're going to point out is that uh, there are two pitfalls, really, that we can fall into. And they're just as bad, one as the other. One is we can dismiss this as a story that happened at a time and a place and a context, and when demonic activity was more real then, or... People were crazier back then or whatever. We could just dismiss it and say, man, we don't really see any of that today. Well, that would be tragic for us to do that. Or we can become fascinated with it 
And we can become fascinated with this kind of occult-like ideas and fascinated with supernatural things, and both of those things are two ditches we don't want to be in. C.S. Lewis said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and magician with the same light. There are things happening. Behind the scenes, there's darkness around us. But don't believe for a second that there is not a sovereign God over them. We're going to see that today. I've struggled with this text. Like, I go back and forth with, throughout the week with what to preach, how to preach it, what should I say, how should I say it. It'd be easy. I mean, the most obvious thing would be to preach on like spiritual warfare, you know, which I'm going to a little bit. Another obvious thing would be to just preach on like the reality of darkness, the reality of Jesus' lordship, which we're going to talk about a little bit. But as I was working through this text today, man, this weird story, here's a guy that he's lived in a town. It's actually the Copolis was multiple towns kind of meeting in one. So there was lots of people around him. This guy was crazy acting. He was howling, cutting himself. They tried to bind him in chains, probably to subdue him, but also to keep him from cutting himself. So almost an act of mercy. And they did with him what they did with a lot of people. There was on the shoreline, like these caves that were tombs. And they said, we can't manage you, brother. You need to get out of here. Go to the tombs. Okay, that's a practical story. Kind of weird, but practical. We have outcasts of society here. I realized, man, he's in the tombs. He's bound by chains. He is cut off from his family. And he's met by Jesus who breaks his chains, gives him a new family, and releases him to freedom. As I was thinking about this, I realized... This isn't some crazy story. This is your story. And this is my story. If you're a believer of Jesus today, the story of this demoniac who was a demoniac before he got freed and now he's just a saint. How about that? He goes from demoniac to saint. That's your story and that's my story. It's easy to demonize this man as far-fetched from reality, but at the core of the story, it's... A man who was dead and enslaved and an enemy in opposition to God, and then he was delivered and set free. And it's right in line with the theme of Mark, which is to present a case to you. And the case is this. Jesus Christ is, in fact, Lord. And he does, in fact, have all authority on heaven and earth. That's what Mark's trying to get us to see, and he's trying to get us to see it again here. So let's jump into it, man. The first thing I want us to see is just the practical reality of this story is this. This man was dead, and so were we. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. It goes on to just say, just in case you missed it, he lived among the tombs. It's like they're saying, hey, did you hear what I said? This dude lived in a graveyard. He was outcast by his family, his friends, his community. They, 
there among the tombs was not a man that was living. You don't go to the tombs to be alive. This man was dead. Yes, he had blood pumping through his veins. Yes, his brain worked, his heart worked. But spiritually, just like you before Jesus and just like me, we were dead. And this is where all the stories of meeting Jesus start. They don't meet with us suddenly like clicking it on, figuring it out. Dead people don't figure things out. They meet with Jesus coming to us, Jesus coming to the tomb. A man was outcast. Think about this. This man was outcast from his society. He was bound by chains. The man was in the tomb. Jesus saves the man, redeems him, and then tells him to go back to his people. In the same way, Jesus is our representative as a truer, better man. Jesus, outcast from the people, up on the hill, killed, dead, into the tomb. He comes out again as a missionary, a resurrected king to send us out. This is a story about you. A story about me. This is a story about humanity. Ephesians 2 says this. If you're just kind of going, well, I don't know if I believe you. Here's what Ephesians 2, if you're a Christian, this is how it describes you. And you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins in which, in, which you, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The prince of the power of the air, the evil one, the same kind of evil that possesses this man. You were him. Like this man, Jesus came to us. hard to be dead and decide to take steps. Your brain doesn't work, your heart doesn't work, your feet don't work. You cannot be dead and decide anything, as a matter of fact. You just are dead. (laughs) There's this idea that, like, I've heard it before, and look, I, I get the premise of it. I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but this idea that we are somehow, like, there's a sea of life and we've fallen over the boat, man. We're like drowning in the sea of life. We were on the boat, we were good. But we fell over the boat, into the sea, we're drowning. And Jesus, the story of the gospel is Jesus comes and throws us a life raft. And he saves us and pulls us back on the boat again. I don't know what the, bo- the boat is supposed to be in this analogy, but, but it's actually not true at all. There's nothing true about that. You weren't drowning. You had drowned. <laughs> you actually were born just drowned. You, it was, you were dead. Washed up on the shore. Bones. Like dried up. Dead. Decayed body. Not decaying. You, it was a done deal. And what happened was is you used to be this dead person. And then Jesus jumps on shore. Breathes life into your dry dead up bones and gives you something totally different than you were before. It makes you a new creation. That's the story of you. That's the story of me. That's the story of this man. Where it starts with us is this, simply. It takes humility, but my goodness. Have some humility. 
You did not decide to save yourself. Jesus came to you, and he saved you. He came upon the beach because of his goodness. He comes to us today in our torment, in our terror, and our darkness, under the slavery of the evil one, bound by chains, whose only goal is to distort the Imago Dei, to cut us. Jesus comes and he breathes life into us and he restores us to true humanity. So he was dead, so were we. Second is this, this is the truth. Jesus has power over darkness. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began him, and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. They begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs on the herd, numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank in the sea and drowned in the sea. What an interesting exchange. How we say that Jesus has power over darkness and he's here bartering with this man. First thing we gotta see is like, nobody in the town could subdue him. Nobody had power over this guy. He didn't have power over himself. I, it's easy to think about him cutting himself, him being bound by chains, as a man that just like was driven to that place because demons just wanted to cut him. But I'm sure that's true for sure. Like, I don't want to pass over that, but it's also like a reality that he was probably in and out of consciousness. Emotionally broken, distraught. Kept thinking to himself the thing that we think a lot, which is like, why can't I get over this? Why can't I get this thought and this depression and this anxiety and this sin and this habit and this addiction out of my life? It's not just like things at work in him, it's him at work against himself. Look at me. Nobody wants to be around me. I've got these, I mean, imagine in and out of like human thoughts and crying out. Jesus looks on this man and has compassion. I'm glad he looked on me and had compassion, man. This darkness that has overtaken this man is not in the same way manifesting itself as it does in our life. There are manifestations of demons and they are real. But in our life, it seems like a little more cute than this. Greed, power trips, money hungry, lust. Darkness is not cute. What we're getting in this moment is a gift from God to write this story in the Bible and 
for us to see what evil actually is. That thing in you, that thing in me, that is very much a thing, is the same thing that's possessed this man. That oppression, that darkness, that I'm preaching to myself, man, it's not something to be played with. It's not cute at all. There are, in fact, demonic forces at work in this world, and they have one goal, to destroy you. That's their goal. They want to brutalize the Imago Dei in you. They want to brutalize the image of God in you. They want to cut. They want to bind you down. Without Jesus, the reality is this, man. This is harsh, but it's real. Without Jesus, darkness has power over us. It seeks to destroy us in the Imago Dei. It's hatred. It's not just physical, like we said. It's greed and lust and self-absorption and fear and sexual addiction and any type of addiction and money-hungry and food addiction and power-tripped. Everything is so momentarily euphoric in its impulse when we make impulsive decisions. I'm preaching myself, but ultimately it leads to our Imago Dei becoming distorted and destroyed. And we look at ourselves like this man and we think, what have I become? Has power over us without Jesus. It also wants us to be God. It wants us to see ourselves as that, or at least see humanity as God. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? You might see this scene and you might think, okay, he's recognizing him as God, true enough. But in that day, in that time, in that context, it actually was an exercise of having authority over someone to name them. Notice how Jesus named the disciples. Notice how the Father gives Jesus the name that is above every name. In that day, it meant exercising authority to, have, to give someone their name. What do you want to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? This wasn't all of a sudden a helpless legion of demons that were just all of a sudden so compassionate and ready to just worship Jesus and be in awe of him. They worshiped Jesus because they had to, because he's God. Still trying to be defiant. Still trying to exercise authority over them, which makes this an even more powerful point. You do not have authority over darkness without Jesus. But the good news today is that he has all authority over them. And he has you. Jesus names the disciples. The Father gives him the name above every name. And the distorted agenda of the devil is to get us to try to name God. It wants us to be God. It wants us to make God in our image. It wants us to name God. It wants us to do exactly what it just did, and that's exercise our authority over God. God, you should be different than you are, ultimately is what we're saying. You, this book, man, I, let me change some things, God. God, you should feel differently about genders. You should feel differently about human sexuality. You should feel differently about me. God, I think you should, be, you should feel differently about what I do with my money. You should feel differently, God, about like all of your control and your like opinions about my calling and my career. We try to make God in our image. We try to name him and exercise authority over him. This is old. 
changing his personality, his Bible, the character of God, his attributes, his commands, his desire, his design, and his governance of our world, all to fit how we think he should be. This is old. This started in the Garden of Eden. The lie that was told to them when God said, don't eat, you have everything, just don't eat this one tree. And the enemy comes up to them in that moment and he says, what, did he tell you not to eat of that tree? He just doesn't want you to know what he knows. Because he knows when you eat of that tree, you will be as God. This is the lie in the Bible. It started in the garden. Darkness has power over us without Jesus. And the lie that it keeps telling us, it just keeps lying to us. It tells us it wants us to be God. It lies to us constantly. It makes us codependent with it. It lies to us about what God wants and what he expects. And then it lies to us about whether or not we can actually be free from it. It tells us we can't live without it. We can't survive without it. Our addictions and our distortions. It convinces us that it's too powerful to ever be cast out. Jesus asked him, now, the script has flipped, remember, to name, to call someone's name, to have authority. What do you want to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? Next verse, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion for we are many. Two things happening here. This is Jesus with very little effort exercising authority over this demon. And this is this demon with a lot of effort trying to manipulate Jesus, trying to persuade him and the man by saying, we are legion, for we are many. Legion in that day, in that context, would have been um, a size of a Roman army or a piece of the Roman army, about 6,000 soldiers, quite a few. Intimidation from a demon would be, we are way too many for you to be messing with. And for us and for you and me, it's the same thing. It's the same lies that we hear. It's like, there's too much of this thing. It's too powerful. It's got too much of a grip on my life. I'm too obsessed with it. I actually don't know who I am without it. It's been years. It's, been, it's now become my sort of just like my mode of conduct. My mode of operation has been this one thing that's dark, and, but it's like my pet thing, you know. It's, I'm attached to it. I'm attached to the way that I think about it. and I'm attached to what I think I deserve. It tells us these lies. It says that it's too powerful to ever be ripped out of our life. But secretly we cry and we're like, I want this thing to be ripped out of my life, but I don't know if I can do it, man. That's what the devil says. We're too strong, too powerful, too much for you to overcome. And the truth is this, man. Here's the truth. It's, they're right. They're right. Darkness, evil, demonic, addiction, depression, and whatever. That kind of like spiritual depression. It is too much for you to overcome. It is. You can't. There's a reason why you haven't overcome it to this point. Because it's too much. You weren't made to overcome it. You were not made to have the strength within yourself. You were not made to like find the secret Read the, read the right book and take all the right steps to like overcome whatever it is. You just weren't, you weren't made for that, man. 
I mean, up to this point, darkness had just been winning. The devil had just been winning. Up to the point of Jesus, it, they, just one after another, just winning, man. There's nothing, nobody can overcome it. And then Jesus shows up. And the difference here is, the difference between you and Jesus is that you're not God. And Jesus is God. And now where darkness had been winning, Jesus shows up, and he's the only one that has the power to do it. But he can, and it's not hard for him. He does what we can't do. He defeats Satan and defeats death and then releases us from bondage. Without Jesus, man, we have no hope of freedom. We have no hope of release without Jesus. We're just going to be in this perpetual tail chase, trying to just like grin and bear it, man. Tight grip. Maybe I could get this thing out of my life. And I, I'm 40. <laughs> you figure at this point, like I would learn that I, I can't do that. And I still, I, it's, I come to this sermon, I'm like, man, I forgot. I don't have power over darkness. Jesus does. This is a story about us. We were dead, and now we're alive. We were oppressed, and now we're free. And we were outcast by the townspeople. And now God calls us to something extraordinary. He calls us to be missionaries like he does this man. We are missionaries. The pigs get possessed. If, we, if you guys, I don't know if anybody in the room would, in Shawnee, America, if you want to talk about poor pigs, why them, then, you know, some of y'all ate bacon this morning. I'm just saying. <clears throat> They get possessed, they die, about 2,000 of them. Of course, the farmers were freaking out. They go back to the townspeople. Can you imagine 2,000? First off, 2,000 pigs? Anyway, all together at once going right into the lake. And they go back to the townspeople. The townspeople are, man, they're just freaked out at what's going on. And the next scene is they see this guy who's crazy, who they had to bind in chains and send him to be dead. And he's just sane. He's wearing clothes. That's new. <laughs> he's totally sane in his right mind. They probably didn't. They're like, he looks like him. His voice, this is weird. I think that's him, but he's sane. He's sitting with Jesus. They freak out, which is weird. They beg Jesus to leave. And this man, who was bound by chains, outcast from his people, sent to die among the tombs, has been now delivered in his right mind, and his townspeople are freaked out about him. They beg Jesus to leave. If you were him, what would you do? I would do the same thing. I'd be like, you are not about to leave me here with these people. Let me come with you, Jesus. Which that's such a good thing to do. I mean, that's part of the story of Scripture is he saves us. You remember the whole account of the gospel in Ephesians? It's three chapters of what God has done for us. We were outside of the commonwealth of Israel, but now we have entered into the commonwealth of Israel by his great love with which he loved us while we were sinners. He died for us. He has seated us with heavenly places with him. That's the story of the gospel, the story of this man. And then our next thing is like, let me just go and be with Jesus. But that's not it. All that happens in three chapters of Ephesians, and then at 4, 1, at chapter 4, verse 1, six chapters now, Three of them, God has done this for you. At 4, 1, 
Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Jesus doesn't let this guy come to him. He doesn't let him stay with him. He tells him, no, you've got a job to do now. There's a job like, I know you got saved in church. Don't stay in church. Don't forsake the gathering of believers, but don't perpetually live your life in one church program after another. Get out of church program. Get out of church house. Go to the coffee shop. Go to the grocery store. Go somewhere where people don't know Jesus. They're not going to receive you, but if they don't, he told the 72, dust off your sandals. But keep on being missionaries. Keep on. Get outside of church world. Look, I'm the pastor. It's my job to run this church. I want you to be here, please. But we say it every week. You've got six days between now and next Sunday. Don't waste your days. Do you teach? Teach to the glory of God. Let people know about Jesus. You don't have to have a verse on everything that you do. You don't have to have uh, like a fish, you know, Jesus, I don't even know what those are, but Jesus fish on your car or whatever. I mean, if you do, that's fine, but you don't have to. You could just be like a really good teacher and be really hospitable and really kind and tell people, man, Jesus loves you. Let me, how can I pray for you? Do you work in a powder coating factory? <laughs> tell people about Jesus. Do you build houses? Do it to the glory of God. Tell people about Jesus. Do you work at a college? Do you work in a school? Wherever you do, do it to the glory of God. Be a missionary. You are saved for good works. This man does what we all want to do. We just want to stay, and we want to stare. And there's this moment in Acts 1. I love this. This moment in Acts 1 where Jesus has died, he has now been resurrected, and he's ascending. And in Acts 1, he's ascending, and what you see is his disciples, who he came to. Jesus is ascending. He's told them, go back to all Judea, Samaria, the surrounding region. Like, he's already given them the Great Commission. And in Acts 1, they're watching him ascend. Okay, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Look at verse 10. And while they were gazing, Jesus is, has just ascended. Everybody in this room would do exactly what they would have done. We'd have been staring at Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, ascending into heaven. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up for you, from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Stop looking. <laughs> Stop. Snap out of it. He's, he's, he's with us. He's ascended. It's, we have a job to do. Go into all the earth. That's your job. Your job is a people group. Your career is a people group. Make disciples of all people groups, all nations. Some of us live in darkness today. We've never broken free from darkness because we keep chasing our tail with trying to just stay comfortable. We should be scared to death of comfort. Townspeople are comfortable. Uh, it's interesting how 
we started this and this man, this Gerasene man was the one that was oppressed and the townspeople were free. And then we ended it and he was free and they were oppressed. Comfort is one thing that we never talk about. It's one of the darkest things that can ever happen to us. We all fight it. You talk about chains. Comfort is chains. Deliverance, discipleship, and change are always uncomfortable. Comfort is the silent killer. Think about how many compromising choices you made in your life simply because you didn't want to rock the boat. We avoid confrontation. We avoid living with the reality of our money. We try to stay comfortable. We keep secrets. Comfortable in our relationships. We stay comfortable with our kids. They become our codependency. Our spouse becomes our codependency. We just like comfort, man, and you cannot. This is not hyperbole. It's, you can't grow and be comfortable at the same time. Call to Jesus is a life of a little bit of discomfort. <laughs> and sometimes a lot a bit of discomfort. Jesus now simultaneously confronts the comfort of the man and the comfort of the townspeople. Instead of allowing the man to come with him and to keep his story to himself and to not go with the people that cast him out, he tells him to go, tells him to go and be a missionary to the very people that have become his enemies. So this happens throughout the history of God's people. Most parallel to me is the story of Jonah where he was called to preach to his enemies. And he kept running from it. And God sends a storm and a whale. <laughs> Eventually he does. But that's the call for you and me. And like we said earlier, the ultimate call for the outcast was Jesus, who came himself and left perfect communion, was born basically in a rundown gas station, Imagine what he left. He lives among us, works a job, three years of his life. He's the seed that he himself has sown for us. Three years of his life, in this moment, he comes up to this oppressed man on the beach, delivers him in the middle of a just frizzy of activity and healing. Nobody believes that he's God yet. He tells this man, the demoniac, who's no longer the demoniac, by the way, he tells the garrison man, go preach the gospel to your town. He hasn't even released his disciples to do that yet. Why is that? Because probably they don't understand it. So I, what I'm saying to you is Jesus is the ultimate outcast on our behalf he came, he died, he went among the tombs, and he breaks our chains off of us. Jesus goes to the tomb for us. Jesus breaks our chains when he didn't have any. He actually gets bound by our sin and breaks it off. He tells us, go and live as missionaries. Go tell the world what the Lord has done for you. That's the gospel. The story of this man is the story of us. There, 
a few people in the room today that don't know Jesus at all. This is brand new news to you. And I know what you're thinking right now. It's like, well, some of this stuff seems far-fetched, but you're thinking about your life, your comfort. You're thinking about all the darkness that you love. And I'm telling you, you can't break that stuff off of you. There's no such thing as like, you do you, live your best life, you've got the power within you. That just ain't true. You need something stronger, man. Today, like stop running back to that. Run to Jesus. Run to the only one who has the power to break sin and darkness. He loves you. I'm telling you. He loves you so much. He's sovereign over the whole world, over your life. It's not by a coincidence that you're here. Some of you guys are experiencing darkness in your life, in your mind, in your heart. You can't break it. Stop trying, man. You need Jesus. You need to run to him. Say, Lord, here this is. Now help me. And then by running to Jesus means we run to community as well. We get other people involved. Start praying. Start acting. Lay down comfort. Stop staring. Let's go, man. Let's run to the Father. Let's run to the Holy Spirit. Let's ask for Jesus' help over our darkness. And then let's go and share the gospel.